I am thrilled to have Nicolette of Mama's Roots Are Showing on the podcast again. You were first introduced to her in the second episode, When Did You Know? Today, however, we cover a lot more ground. Growing up as a fourth generation farming family, being close to the land is second nature to Nicolette. So naturally, we talk about farming and gardening, our own connections to nature, and raising children outdoors. We also talk about what it means to be a peaceful parent, the importance of addressing our own triggers and childhood wounds so we can be more mindful in how we interact with our kids, and so much more. Grab yourself a nourishing drink, kick off your shoes, and settle in. Here's my conversation with Nicolette. Well, my name is Nicolette, and I have a blog and a podcast called Mama's Roots Are Showing, and in it I explore motherhood, so all sorts of things, whether it's peaceful parenting, whether it's self-care, whether it's keeping your family healthy by eating healthy foods or taking a look at your water. Um, It really explores all the nooks and crannies of motherhood, and so I do that because I myself am a mom and I'm so interested in the journey of motherhood. I have three kiddos. I have a seven-year-old, a four, almost five-year-old. He'll be five Mm -hmm. on Friday and a little one who's one and a half. I have two boys and a little girl and a German shepherd person named (laughs) Kane who has been with us. (laughs) He'll be 12 in May. Um, I have been married to my husband for, oh, I got to think about this. I don't know how many years now, <laughs> which I know sounds silly, but I don't. And that's because I've known him since I was in kindergarten. So we met when we were five. Yeah. So the years go by, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's amazing. Yes, it is. So we have a true friendship, which is really cool. And we have so many memories of when we were growing up together because I went to, um, we both went to a very small town school. And I think there was, you know, 20 kids in our kindergarten class. And by the time we graduated, there was 26 or something. So. Oh, my goodness. So that, that was the same children? Pretty, pretty much. much from I mean, kindergarten to 12. Yeah. Right? So there was there was a few that came in and, you know, came in and out. But I think there's I'd have to look at our pictures in our yearbook. But it's something like 15, 16 of them were all original. Wow. That sounds so Norman Rockwell-ish. <laughs> It really is. It's a very, it's a very small town, um, and I am a fourth generation farm girl from this mm. town. So both sides of my family um, came here and farmed, and so that's a heritage that I'm really proud of. So my family's been here for a long time. My husband's family moved here when he was very little, so okay. that's why I grabbed him. Yeah, you're like you're new. Come on, you're coming with me. <laughs> There's no relations here. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So being that you have four generations of families that are farm farming, I imagine that has impacted the way that you see parenthood and motherhood, and raising children naturally as possible and as close to the earth as possible. So can you speak a little bit about how that has impacted your thought process as um, becoming a mom and and then what that looks like kind of day to day? A thousand percent. Um, It has impacted me probably in more ways that I realize now, of course, than I ever realized before. Um, I had a lot of freedom because I had this open space to explore as a child. 
And interestingly enough, I was just talking about this the other day because I had a lot of time to just be by myself and be outside. And I didn't have, you know, to stay in an enclosed yard or um, I never felt like I had to be, I was never in my room. I was only in my room to sleep. Mm. I was constantly outside. And I, and in, and because I was able to do that, I was able to really get to know myself. And I think that's a beautiful gift that time alone, being bored, being by yourself. I had this luxury of knowing who I was at a very young age and being comfortable with that um, and being able to explore different parts of myself. Um, you know, I was able to sing at the top of my lungs and not care if anybody heard me. I was able to act out different plays that I wrote and not care if somebody saw me doing something goofy in my backyard. So that was really cool. And also mm. my dad was a farmer um, by, you know, that's what he did for a living. And so we definitely had a connection to the the seasons, the rhythm of nature. Mm, and that's a good point. <clears throat> yeah. So it was always, um, you know, let's go look at the stars and let's, Let's look at the soil. Oh, let me take you for a walk out to the field. Oh, the peas are starting to grow here. This yeah. one's germinating. So it really, the outdoors feels like home for me. I think that I, I was just very close to nature because I saw it in my backyard so closely. Mm -hmm. And because our lives were impacted with harvest and with planting season. So the seasons, the rhythms of nature were such a huge part of my life. And it is something that I have, I hope to pass on to my children and I'm working at doing. So we spend a lot of time outside and looking at bugs and looking at how things change in the mm -hmm. seasons and such. So it has influenced my parent, my, my journey as a parent in probably the largest way than anything else. Yeah. And you, when you were mentioning being outside a lot as a child and playing in your or playing and and learning about yourself and really getting to know who you are it it made me think of my childhood and and I grew up in the 70s and 80s so i i loved being outside and i would stay out all day long wait until the lightning bugs came you know we would play tag with the neighborhood kids into the evening and just recently we were discussing the fact that in the summertime or in the, in the evening, especially in the spring, in the summer, the bugs would be so significant if you were driving in a um, country road that your windshield would just be basically just disgusting with bugs. And how now we don't see that. And I'm wondering if that's something that's happening for you all where you live. Do you notice because you are kind of a little further out away from city life? Do you notice that? I'm just curious. Yeah, actually, I've had I've had that exact conversation with people before too. Um, yeah, we live in a definitely a mono agricultural society where I, where I live, where it's everybody grows one or two things, and so yeah, I've seen things really shift here. You know, I wanted to get bees, and a few years ago, I reached out to some sort of an organization that are experts on bees. And they asked me where I lived. And when I told them, they said, well, can you move? Oh, my gosh. Because the odds are against you to raise bees where you're at. Now, people do it, you know, I guess what you might call successfully here. But when you're surrounded by mm -hmm. fields that are being sprayed 
with pesticides and um, herbicides, it really has a detrimental impact on the bee population. And I have had uh, people who I know that have bees lose all their, you know, all their bees before. Mm, mm, yeah. So it's a challenge. I mean, we, we try to grow everything. Um, you know, I live on, a, you know, a small plot. I have, you know, eight and a half acres. It's nothing huge. Um, and, you know, we're surrounded by those fields. And so that's another thing with my kids. You know, I have to tell them, we got to play over here. You know, you can't go, you can't go too far, right? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And we ran into that too. We have some friends that lived more in the country and we've spent a lot of time with them throughout our, the younger homeschooling years. And same thing, she had a field behind her and the neighbor, she said, well, we know when they spray. And, um, you know, she was like, we're just kind of not going to play out the back right now, which was yeah. terrible because it was such a beautiful space and so large and lovely and open and wide. Um, but it was, it was sort of like a very defined line where you kind of was like, not to say that it's not going to get in the air or even the water and rush into their yard potentially, but just to have to be aware of that part of the farming and agriculture and that side of the world um, definitely makes you appreciate the backyard gardening opportunities and yes, really understanding where your food comes from. Um, so do you have a garden? Do you all have like backyard gardens? And eight acres, by the way, sounds like paradise to me because I'm on like less than one. <laughs> well, it's no, it's it's a really beautiful piece of property. We do have a creek that runs next to us, too. So um, we spend quite a bit of time as much as we can out there just going for little adventures, which is really cool. There's always opportunities to see wildlife down there. And mm. I don't know anybody that doesn't love running water. I know. Yeah. It's very it's a primitive, treat. right? Yeah. It is. Yes. And my kids love it. My my eldest, I remember being out there. This was probably 2 years ago and he he just sat down, and he would just stare at it and just watch the creek move and I remember mm. him looking up at me and just saying, "Oh, don't you just love the sound of it, mom?" And it was mm -hmm. so pure and um I was so happy that he noticed that. Yes. So yes. it's it's yeah, wonderful. So it is. And we do have a big garden. Um we have what a lot of people would call, um, and this is the first time that we did it because we just we've rented this property, but we bought it this um, this past year, and so I finally put, you know, I was like, okay, now I can really do what I want with the garden because it's ours now. So we have sort of what's called a poudager style garden. Not familiar with that. So it's a it's a it's a French term, and what it because um, before I would just kind of grow stuff. Well, now I want it to be this very inspiring and beautiful space where I go to. So I have, you know, beautiful trellises and um, I use a lot of flowers and vegetables and things like that. So it's just um, a way to sort of beautify the space a little bit so that it adds a little inspiration when you're out there. Yeah. So it's not just functional and growing food. It's also a space to actually inhabit and beautify, like you said, with the flowers and you can interact with it a little differently. I can imagine it would be an area that kind of calls you to it to, to cut flowers or even just smell and see the bees flying around and the bugs. And that sounds really, really lovely. So is it marked off? Like, do you have a, is it marked off like with a gate or a perimeter or is it sort of like a free flowing space? So we are going to, we are in the process of kind of putting, um, 
I want to have like some sort of a stone wall to kind of have it be separate. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad, interestingly enough, he passed away um, three years ago, but he farmed the field on the other side of the creek. And so mm-hmm. on the other side of the creek, there's all these stones that he and rocks that he picked from the field. And so we were able to just, my husband just went over there, grabbed, you know, a ton of the stones with, I don't even know what piece of machinery he used (laughs) and then brought them over to our garden. Wow. And so we've been able to use these rocks that my dad picked with his hands, you know, over the course of, I don't even know, 20, 30 years that he's been running that farm. And so they're actually in my garden now. So I have stone walls and we have raised garden beds that are out of stone. We've also cut down a lot of um, some of the trees that are more of the junk trees that are on our creek line. Mm -hmm. And then my husband built me a beautiful arbor out of trees. And so we now have that too. So there is sort of, um, there's some delineation, but it's definitely open where you can still see it. And it's lovely. I love gardening. It is, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Do you garden too, Missy? Well, so I we did. Yes. And we have raised beds. And when the kids were younger, it was absolutely a priority of mine to ensure that they saw plants grow from seed to harvest. And then I certainly got them involved with picking things out and what their favorite foods were that we could grow in the garden. So over the years, it slowly got less and less just as they got older and their interest in it sort of waned. And even, you know, my time itself was pulled a little bit more and I just kept it to the bare minimum. So like tomatoes and cucumbers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in the, you know, this past year, actually really hardly did anything. And then I told the kids, I was like, we have to get back into it this year. And my, we did try one year, we tried to grow corn, we tried to grow watermelon and cantaloupe, and then realized that those are definitely larger space crops. And there's only so much space you can utilize in in the raised beds. So we're keeping it to the smaller crops and um, things like we're, we're going to probably add beans this year and snap peas. And we've got lettuce for sure. And spinach. I used to even have the pots that can move around the yard and we would just move them to the sunlight and throw stuff in them. Oh yeah. <laughs> so even it might not have been like as, as pretty, but it was functional. Um, and then so yeah, no gardening has been something we've definitely done for many, many years. And I've even incorporated some of our neighborhood kids. There were one family that moved on our street. It's been years now and he had never seen anything grown. And um, he was so adorable when he came over one day and I said, it's time to pick the carrots. Would you like to help? And he's like, sure. And he starts picking them all. Like there's, you just do a couple. Um, and then I have this picture. I'll never, for, I mean, this picture will be something that we cherish for a long, long time, but he had this huge grin on his face and this handful of like baby carrots that were nowhere near being ready. <laughs> but we were like, you know what? That that's an amazing experience for him. And that's okay. We're going to lose a few carrots for his ability to uh, have that experience. So um that has been fun for me to share that with other other kids. And then in our homeschool community, one of our families has a lot more property. And this was probably, I mean, I think Sadie was probably like a year and a half, two years old. So it's been 12 years now. And um, we had like 20 something families come together and do a large community garden. Wow. And it was so gratifying. It got to the point where we even had the local news come and interview my friend and had the kids in there and they were picking watermelon and chopping it up and eating it on the news, you know, (laughs) Um, just to show the idea of community 
and pulling together your resources and teamwork and many hands make light work kind of thing. And it, it was a really good experience. So I would love, love to do that again. Yeah, it's really, it's really wonderful. I mean, I guess growing up on a farm, I kind of, it was something that was just, I was born into, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is amazing to think that there's people who, yeah, they've never grown something before. So this whole process, you know, something growing, so planting a seed is completely foreign to them. So I can just picture that little mm-hmm. guy just picking everything. Because there is something very satisfying in pulling something out of the earth and here yeah. it is. So I'm sure he just got a little carried yeah. away. <laughs> he probably did. Yes, he did. That's right. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> so as far as like the children being in nature, and do you all have um, like a group of people that you get together with fairly regularly now that I don't even know if we mentioned this, but you are homeschooling. Yes, yes. I'm a homeschool mama. Do you want to talk a little bit about sort of how that evolved and how that looks for your family now with your kids being the ages that they are? Sure. So as I mentioned before, I have a seven-year-old, an almost five-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old. So we are certainly new to the homeschooling world, but it is something that I decided I wanted to do. Um, actually, before my before my eldest um, was at school age, I just kind of um, began questioning a lot of um, a lot of things. And that started, you know, as a younger age, um, you know, it started off with mm-hmm. food, really, which you and I discussed about questioning food and where it came from to bring mm-hmm. it back to the gardening and to bring it back to the farm world. You know, I started looking at why does the FDA approve of this, but not this? And um, why are they telling us to eat this, but not this? And so I just began uh, questioning the status quo and not accepting what mainstream things were and actually examining why things were the way that they were. And when I became pregnant, that was the same thing. I wanted to know, well, why do we birth this way? Why do we, Mm, why do mm -hmm. we put babies in a crib? And so, and again, this isn't to say that there's one way of doing something and everybody should do it, but I think there's a lot more options out there that are available to people And so I just started um, researching a lot of these things. And because I went to college to be an educator, when it was time for me to at least begin thinking about school for my eldest, I had enough courage, I had enough confidence to look into homeschooling Mm -hmm. because of my education background. But I very quickly realized that that wasn't necessary at all. And... Of course, I'm still gathering information on homeschooling every day, and I'm sure that (laughs) our journey is going to evolve and change from day to day, from year to year. But there are some things that I think are very important, and one of them is a sense of community, like you mentioned. And so two years ago, at the start of COVID, um, I actually started a wild and free group. Oh, nice. So... Yeah. um, So that's a international homeschooling community and they have local groups Mm -hmm. that are, Mm -hmm. I mean, the name is very fitting, wild and free. And so then COVID hit literally a week after I started the group or something. So we had, um, we had that uh, up against us, but we ended up um, getting to know each other on social media Mm -hmm. a lot because of the things that we had scheduled obviously were canceled. And these were people that I didn't know. I knew, I knew two ladies 
that I had like met in another homeschooling group, but I had only met them once. So it was very new. Long story short, we created a lot of momentum on social media and we then agreed, okay, this is enough. We're getting the kids together. And so we've been, yeah. well, and sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to throw in that in, in that specific example that shows the beauty of being able to communicate through social media because you're able to plan and bounce ideas off of each other and kind of figure out who likes what, and then you can put it into place. So it sounds like y'all were able to do that piece of it with, even though you were up against the COVID restrictions at the time. Yeah, we were. And, you know, we have a, gosh, I love our group so much. It just breathes life into each and every one of us. Um, we had mm. to go through a weeding out process because we really had to define what we wanted for our group. And so mm-hmm. because it was, you know, essentially my group, I got to pick what our guidelines mm-hmm. were and such. And there were some people that, you know, had to make their exit because it didn't jive. And I'm so glad that we went through that process because we could have had, you know, 200 members, but it wouldn't have been this core group that it is now. And mm-hmm. so we meet every Friday and then we also do a mama's night out or mama's day out, whatever it might be, where we might do yoga together and just hang out and have these conversations that moms so need to have. And then we do other things. You know, if there's a cool event that's happening, we'll schedule that too. Um, but basically it's just us meeting, going outside um, to different parks and different nature areas and hanging out. And it's really lovely. You said you meet every week, every Friday, but is there like a, a set activity that you're trying to do each week? Um, it's really open-ended. So, and, and what I like is that we give, we usually ask maybe one or two, we like to pair them up and to have two moms work together to plan each month. So they have to come up with mm-hmm. where we're going what we're doing, which is cool because they may have been to a place that some of us have never been to. If it was only me, you know, I started the group, if it was only me and I was doing all the planning, it would be limited because there's many places that we've gone to that I had never even heard of before. So it's really nice to share the responsibilities of that. And it also gives the group ownership. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I know this, uh, and I also have a lady that I asked to be sort of the administrator or leader of the group with me. And it's really nice to have that because this past weekend I was out of town and she was, you know, getting back to people and handling it. So it's nice to have, um, to partner up. It absolutely is. Yeah, for sure. And I've helped with several co-ops and multiple groups over the course of the last, you know, 10, 10, 12 years or so. And what I have found to be the case, and I could completely relate to what you were saying about sort of weeding the group out. And it's not a matter of being exclusive. It's more about creating the group that works for the people who want to be in it. Mm -hmm. And I have seen with the larger the group gets, the more schooly it gets. (sighs) And that's the last thing I wanted to have is to replicate the school situation in our homeschool world. And, um, and, you know, we had to, back out of a group at one point because it got so big and it became to the point where even parents were like, we need a list of rules to put on the wall. And I was like, no, we don't. Mm -mm. (laughs) Nope, not doing that. Or we need, we need somebody to take attendance or we need this. And I was just like, okay, whoo, this is nope. And even though I was 
allowing my kids to make the decision as far as was this working for you or not. It's interesting how they started feeling it too. I noticed that bigger groups got the more it sort of leaned towards this need to become more structured and more rigid almost. We found that the smaller activities, smaller groups were a little bit more in line with kind of the way we wanted to do things as well. And it also made it easier to go places because if you have 75 people, it's kind of hard to show up at a park, (laughs) (laughs) 75 kids and parents. And um, so uh, over the years, we've definitely had that experience too. And I will say like we named or I named our school Nature's Path Academy because we wanted to be outside. And I just, I knew that from the minute we'd made this decision that outside was our classroom and I wanted to take advantage Mm -hmm. of all the possible activities that we could. So we have very much adventured all throughout our city and all throughout the areas outside of our city. And we used to take day trips constantly, which it's what's, what is the beauty of our schedule is because we don't really have that time frame. You know, it's not like you have to be back at a certain time. And so we would get up in the mornings and coordinate with other families. And sometimes we'd leave at like eight and we'd be gone until, you know, dinner time. And those are some of my most favorite memories most favorite being outside all day long yeah oh I agree and you and the outdoors can build such skills Mm -hmm. and such relationships you know another reason that we kept the the group small was because we really wanted to create the sense of a village we want our kids to have these friendships and when you have a huge group you might see some people here and there, but I'm a member of a couple of these larger homeschooling groups that are basically online and Mm -hmm. someone will post an event and you have no idea who's coming up and those all have, or who's going to be there. Um, You don't really know them. And so this was something that with a lot of intention, I wanted to create uh, something that was really going to take us through the years of homeschooling and provide those connections and those friendships and those relationships mm-hmm. for me and for my kids. And so we we set out to create some guidelines. We do have a very loose sort of attendance policy, and that's for a couple different reasons. Obviously, one is that we do want people to show up because that's how you build um that sense of community and build those relationships, but yeah. we, and to take it seriously and yes. ownership to it for sure. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But it's also, um, we do most of, we do all of our communicating on Facebook and we had a lot of people. And of, of course we were understanding during COVID, um, when that struck, but we had a lot of people who had joined and never came to an event. Well, we're posting Mm. where we're meeting and when we're meeting. And so we just put a rule in, I think it was last week, um, that we said, you know what, you have six weeks from the day. Everybody has six weeks, no matter how long you've been with us. But moving forward, it went from the day that you join, you have six weeks to attend a meeting. And if you don't, then we're going to have to remove you for the safety of our Mm -hmm. family. We're posting pictures of our children and such. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we've, we've had to evolve and we've had to make some guidelines and some rules. It's certainly a learning experience, but it's been great. And basically, we just go together and go for hikes outside. We um, explore different places. Then we have some places that are very 
um, special to us that we visit a lot. And we've done different events. Um, My kids weren't able to go, but I know there was um, an event like a STEM event at the roller skating rink where we had a whole, you know, obviously we got to do a free skate, but they talked about friction and they got to build a, um, build a roller skate. Oh, that's cool. Um, Yeah, we've gone on nature walks where we had a guide and they showed us different seeds and such during the fall. So there's different things that we do, but the majority of the time, it's just us going and hanging out. Mm -hmm. And that's been probably my favorite outing that we've had to date. We went to this place I had never been to, and the kids ended up finding an entire, well, basically an entire carcass of a dead deer. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was, it was just bones, I should say. It was just bones. And so they were all collecting bones and bringing them home and stuffing them in their backpacks. Um, it was, it was hilarious. And we were all just saying only homeschool kids, right? Oh yeah. And so we, oh my gosh. I mean, I mean, literally every child went home with, you know, at least 10 bones that Mm -hmm. day. And then they were also, um, they just started constructing and building this little meeting space with um, they were moving logs together. And I was like, this is what childhood should be about. They were just Mm -hmm. being industrious and working together. It was an absolutely beautiful day. And it just um, solidifies for you, your decision to homeschool when things like Mm -hmm. that happen, because you can question, um, not that I question homeschooling, but sometimes I definitely will have weak moments where you question yourself, like, are, am, am I doing the right things? Am I doing enough? Mm-hmm. And when you have just days like that, it's usually not after your child, you know, oh, yeah, he did everything I asked him to do <laughs> today. And we check this off and he read this much, you know, that's great. But it's those moments that are unexpected where, yeah, you just discover bones mm-hmm. in a forest mm-hmm. and the children are moving logs that are really inspiring. You go, this is what life is about. It sure is. This is what we should be learning it like, you know? Well, and it it teaches that um, the importance of coming together for a common goal and how each child can utilize the strengths that they have. And it, it's fascinating to find out how fast other children will be like, hey, so-and-so, you to go do this, or hey, you did this, or somebody will take the lead, and then you have others who will kind of, they'll switch it up. And I've just found over and over and over again, if ever there is energy that's getting too cranked up inside, it's like, let's take it outside. Let's go to nature because oh. you can just diffuse all that energy. Um, and always it felt as if when we met our families and friends out somewhere, that it, those are the days that we remember it. We don't remember the really calculated, organized possible indoor events. Not to say that some of those weren't wonderful and beautiful too, but it's almost like the free flowing days of just sort of playing and, and randomly meeting other people, not randomly meeting other people and the kids randomly creating like a fort in the woods with no intention set ahead of time. It was more or less our intention was to meet you and then go play. And yes. uh, yeah, there's so many, like, I'm just sitting here in my brains kind of like <laughs> reliving all these thoughts and memories of places that we just go to all the time. And even still, like, I think because of our years of spending as much time as we could outside, my oldest, who's t- 19, oh my gosh, 
that's so crazy to me. Um, <laughs> he's talking about how he wants to do some sort of a summer trip somewhere where he can either be like a counselor or a ranger or something out outdoors out west. And he's just like, Mom, I just love being outside. And I just think that would be such a great, great experience. And I was like, I agree. So we're, we're looking, we're in the market for figuring something like that out now. Oh, I love that. You know, that's one thing that as a mom, um, I want my kids to have a relationship with nature because Mm -hmm. not only do they want them to respect nature so that they can make good choices for earth, you know, um, but also there can be so much comfort brought by being in nature and this, this connection to something bigger than yourself. Um, we all feel better going out for a walk. And Mm -hmm. I want my kids to understand that and to use it as a tool when they face something that might be troubling or um, challenging in their lives. I want them to be able to turn to nature for comfort and to kind of have it recenter them. For sure. Well, and I I have seen it, you know, I've I've seen it humble. It humbles you. It, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all inspiring. It's, um, it's fascinating. And there's just, there's nothing like it. There's nothing you can do on any television or TV or screen that will give you the same feeling as going outside and exploring the world around you. And I say that even from when my kids were little, like from itty bitty babies looking in the grass and finding bugs and turning over a rock and seeing a worm. And, you know, those are like those moments build and build and build to the point where now, you know, my son's like, now I'm ready to just go into the world and be somewhere for months at a time. And, um, I think it helps our children get to know themselves on a deeper level too, because then they can figure out what their strengths are, maybe what their risk, you know, are they risk averse? Are they pushing their boundaries a little bit? How, what makes them feel most safe? What makes them feel most uncomfortable? And, you know, sometimes when we go on hikes together, I sort of <laughs> had to get to a point where I have to stay up, stand back a little further now because they'll be like right there on the edge of those rocks. I'm like, okay, my goodness. But you know, you can't be like, oh, watch out, watch out, watch out because, and they probably would, it, it's almost as if the idea of trying to make them be so safe is the, does the opposite because then they're not trusting themselves anymore. They hear your voice telling them to be careful constantly. And, you know, it's not like I'm asking or telling my kids to just go randomly run without thinking things through, like be thoughtful about what you're about to do, but it is, uh, it's important for them to have those adventures and take those risks. Oh and yeah. It, it really does. You know, strengthen them. it does. And you know, when we look at, I think you actually posted something about this and I just finished the book yesterday, free to learn by Peter Gray. Oh yeah, that's a wonderful one. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful book, and I've read a few other ones that to kind of talk about how, in other, um, in other cultures, how there's more free reign with mm-hmm. children, and certainly in years long ago there was more free reign that children had, and what when you are constantly telling your child what to do and how and showing them you need to assess this risk, be careful, be careful. They end up not getting to know what their own boundaries should be because you're telling them what it is. When actually kids, even at a very young age, um, they're pretty good at assessing what's dangerous for them. 
mm-hmm. and figuring it out. We need to trust them more. And nothing provides those opportunities more than just being outside, crossing that log, walking on those rocks, climbing that tree. Um, that's the best way to do it. And like you said, this is a way that kids get to know themselves. And that's so important. It's so, I mean, being outside, not only is it wonderful for your mental health and um, I'm sure you've read this book and are familiar with it, Last Child in the Woods. Oh yes. Forever ago. Loved it. I actually got to hear him speak when he came to Charlotte. It was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Genius. And it talks about how there's so much mental illness and um, and how we've seen such a decline in children being outside and the negative impact that that has on children. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely one of the reasons why we chose to homeschool because I wanted my kids to have this relationship with the outdoors because through that, you end up having a relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, when I learned so much about myself, it wasn't in a classroom. No. It wasn't, you know, hanging out in my living room. It was being outside. Those were so crucial for me developing my personality and developing my skills and um, getting to know myself better. And I want that. I I want that for my kids. And I think it's really important that they have that opportunity. Well, and, you know, you mentioned the mental health issues for uh, our society that we've seen definitely skyrocket over the years. And from my background and personal experiences uh, as a child and and having a brother that was struggling, one of the reasons I went into education was because I wanted to be able to work with kids who were struggling. And Mm -hmm. then when I was in the classrooms, I realized that that's not how I can help as much as I wanted to, because you're within the confines of a system that doesn't really give you the flexibility that you need. And one of the biggest pieces to human happiness is agency. And where else do you, I mean, you you just don't have agency when you're in a classroom setting or you're in a system that tells you what you're supposed to do and when you're, how you're supposed to learn and what you're supposed to learn. And so when the decision came for us to sort of say yes or no to school, originally my mind was like, I want him my child to have the ability to have agency over his life. And, and mm-hmm. so I just was like, let's just, let's go for it. Let's see what it looks like um, as a homeschooling family for a few years. And then we'll go from there. And as you know, we, we never looked back. Um, yeah. But speaking of the danger side of things and the risk behavior, I, I cannot think of the name of the article I read recently about that specifically, but I did remember the name of a book that we utilized in one of our co-ops when my son was probably about seven, seven or eight, and it's called The Dangerous Book for Boys. Have you ever heard of that one? I've seen it. I can picture the cover, but I've never read it. I think there's one for girls too, isn't there? I, th- I was about to say, and I'm pretty sure there's a girl version, but we were able to utilize that book for a group of kids, um, and the mom who led it was wonderful, and she gave all of them pocket knives. And she gave them all, like, we all got these little tool bo- toolboxes <laughs> and she taught them how to like bandage their arm. So they like joked around and pretended like they had blood on their arm and then they mm-hmm. each had to bandage each other up. And then they used their pocket knife to like whittle um, a stick. And then they used like soaps and stuff to learn just the tools. And I that appreciated that so much because it opened up that freedom to be like, hey, everybody has these tools and now we're going to play with them. And it was, it was not, um, it wasn't 
led in a way that was like, you have to do this first and this second and this third. It was more like, I'm going to give you some information about what these things are and how these things work and let's do it together. And it was a, a real good experience for him. And, and on top of that, we were able to even do a survival class with one of the other moms where they went out into the woods and she had been in the military. So she taught them things like how to find water and how to keep yourself warm in the cold. And those are just wonderful experiences. And I'm so thankful that, that we got that opportunity. And I think that just continued to reinforce my belief that given kids the space and the, um, and the trust, they will, they will surprise you again and again and again with what they can do and what they want to do. Yes. And, and if we don't honor that, you know, you have this self-fulfilling prophecy when mm-hmm. you are telling your kids, maybe not in words, but in messages that by, you know, not giving them that agency, um, they start to believe that they aren't able to do these things. Yeah. And this impacts their confidence. This impacts their development. So, you know, it's interesting. There's different cultures and different, you know, where if a, a one-year-old or a two-year-old goes to grab a knife, they just let their child explore and they kind of just sit back and observe. They don't rush over and grab it from them, mm-hmm. which in standard American parenting is something that would just be, uh, you know, the eyes, I mean, you would get some some looks for doing that. And that's not what I, believe me, I'm not promoting no. letting a child <laughs> play with a knife or anything. But it's just that in different cultures, they sort of just let that child play with those things um, or explore them, I should say, mm-hmm. and then and let them figure it out. And their children never get hurt. You know, they're playing with these tools that their parents might use. And I'm talking about um, you know, like hunters sure. and gatherers here. Um, but they would be playing with these tools and their parents wouldn't take them away from them because they knew that they're the children eventually needed mm-hmm. to use those in order mm-hmm. to survive. It was a part of their life. And so they would just be curious and they would allow their child to exercise that curiosity and kids didn't get hurt. The libertarian homeschooler, are you familiar with her? She no. had a conversation with, um, she was on a podcast at some point and I loved what she said about as parents, we have to get comfortable with our children having some injuries and maybe even an ER visit or two. <laughs> and, yeah. and it was funny because to me, I was like, oh gosh, because I, I didn't I didn't want my children to ever have to go to the ER, but we definitely had some injuries in our family. Um, and she, you know, her, her take was, and I re- appreciated how she worded it, was like, I'm going to give my kids information, but I'm not going to tell them what they should and shouldn't do. Unless, of course, they're about to just literally hurt themselves and someone else that's you can't come back from it and and again I think it does go back to the individual families and the cultures that you live within even within your own family like what it, it's even the definition of unschooling it's like the, mm-hmm. as much freedom as the parents are comfortably able to handle right so I think the right. same thing can be said for like your risk aversion how risk averse are you how risk um, comfortable are you and then you kind of work within those parameters but the reality is that if you're constantly telling your kids they can and can't, they can't do something, then they're going to believe it. Like you said, the self-fulfilling prophecy, it makes me, it makes me think of like hand sanitizing your hands all the time. Like to me that you're sanitizing their ability to trust themselves if you're constantly telling yep. them what they can and can't do. So, um, 
So to everyone yeah. listening, we're not telling you to let your kids run with knives. We're no, <laughs> no, please do not misconstrue that message. It's just it's- an example of that other side of it. And I think, um, and, and don't get me wrong, I feel like my default is definitely to interject and to make statements to my children at this, at this age, you know, they're mm-hmm. seven, four, one and a half. And, um, and just a little side note here, my, my middle child, he has epilepsy. And mm. so that has definitely impacted, impacted me on having to be watchful. Sure. Um, and so, but I have, you know, I, I think it's really important to let these kids explore and so I try to give them that op- as much opportunity to do that. And being outside is just the best way to do it. There's so it much really for is. them to do. And if you can use nature as the backdrop for an education, there is mm-hmm. so much value to that. There's so many things to be learned in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the opportunities are, are endless. They really, really are. And then also changing your scenery, you know, going if you can to the beach and the mountains and or some wide open space in the country or we feel very fortunate to be where we're located because I can be at the beach in three hours. I mean, we've taken day trips to the beach before. It's not our preference, but we've definitely done it. Um, and then the same for the mountains. We're like two hours from the mountains. And oh, that's we wonderful. Get, we do. We just just like, OK. And even over the pandemic, that was what I committed with the kids. We were like, OK, once a month, we're going to get in the car. And we're driving to the mountains for the day. And we did. We got really consistent with that. And so it would be like the first week of the month. We're like, okay, which where we're going? And we would take a day and go. And it was, it was say, it was my savior for sure. Like, (laughs) I'm so glad we were able to do that because that was back at the beginning too, when everything was really shut down and there was hardly anybody out doing anything. Um, But I was like, nature is our salve. It's a, it's super much of a soul soul lifter. Um, yep, I completely agree with you. We were we spent a lot of time outside too, and um, you know, I I really thought about kids in schools and or whether they were even doing virtual learning, being stuck inside while they were doing that mostly, um, and kids in classrooms while this is all happening and mm. seeing seeing the state of normal completely flipped over on its head. Um, and just thinking what that does to a child's psyche and being so thankful that, you know, I could just open my door mm-hmm. and we could go outside and there was yeah. no, there was, there was no knowledge of coronavirus, mm-hmm. of COVID, you know, there was yeah. no, there was no, there would be nothing to let you know that that was even going on in the world when you stepped mm-hmm. outside. And, um, it was, it makes you think. I was very thankful for that. You know, I thought about people, man, who live in the city and they can't just step outside. Mm-hmm. You know, and even parks were closed. Right, which is crazy, but yeah. <laughs> because we all know how important it is to breathe fresh air and to be out in nature. And so, yeah, <laughs> that's that's kind of a nut, nutsy thing that happened for sure. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you about um, your process, like, how with biscuits first of all you know your your instagram page and your website and of course your podcast too it's just wonderful and i love the way you write and i love the thoughts that you share and there was one particular one that actually goes along with what we were talking about i wanted to bring up what's that image that you have of your son your second born that you were just talking about 
And I just love that picture. And I love that caption that you speak about him being your second born. And you're so glad he could be wild and free. Um, Mm. And so have you been able to, how have you been able to see sort of the evidence and the, I wouldn't say results, but what does that look like for you over the years? Like the fact that you've been able to allow your children to have that freedom and to be who they are and to come into their own without the confines of a schedule and sort of an external pressures of a system? Um, I think that my children are confident. Um, and again, I think they know themselves, I mean, pretty well for the, you know, the ages that they mm-hmm. are. And I know without a doubt that my, my second born, the one that has epilepsy, he would be, I would be getting calls for him left and right because he does not stand still. Mm-hmm. Um, he is definitely a risk taker. And I mean, just the idea of him sitting at a desk for any length of time just makes me laugh. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and he'll sit down and draw forever. He'll sit down and he'll listen to me read for, you know, an hour. But if it doesn't interest him, which, and of course, when you're in school, you don't have a lot of agency, right? Mm-mm. And so he, I'm sure that I would be called and people would try to prescribe him medicine for, you know, ADD or ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, and having my background in education um, and seeing and working with kids and seeing kids who had this, um, it, it doesn't always work out very well. And oftentimes it's over it's misdiagnosed, it's overdiagnosed. And really, it's just that kids want to move, they were made to move. And so Mm -hmm. I love that my kids um, move freely. I know that might sound silly, but they don't, they're very comfortable in their bodies. And they are able to climb trees and, um, you know, go explore. And they, they've developed physically, and can do some of the most amazing things because they just have the opportunity to do so. I mean, I mm-hmm. see them be so agile. I see them um, pick up things. And I'm like, where did you get that? How do you know how to do that? Mm-hmm. And it's just because they're constantly moving. Um, another thing is that I love that they choose, uh, you know, a lot of times they choose what they want to learn about. So there are some things that obviously I want my children to read. I want my children to understand math. Um you know, I want them to know that they have to, you know, take babs and brush their yeah. teeth and things the like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely some things that I want them to learn about. And sometimes, you know, they can be a little reluctant. I'm not going to lie. But I also give them time to explore the things that they want to learn about. So you better believe that we have studied dinosaurs mm-hmm. and we have studied spiders. That was our today, what we studied today. But it's so neat to see them take their passions to such a deep level rather than just a surface exploration. So Mm -hmm. in classes or, you know, in your typical uh, uh, school classes, you are given the opportunity to to really take control of your learning only in these very unique opportunities. And for me, having gone to a public school, those were the things that stand out. I remember being able to pick what I wanted to do for what we Mm. called our science fair. Mm -hmm. And those were the things that stood out for me because I was able to choose what I wanted to learn about and then do this project on it. But how often is that allowed in a school setting? Not very often at all. Yeah. 
And so my kids spend time researching all the things that they want to learn about, and there's not a time frame on it. I've seen my children are very good drawers, and if they were in a school setting, they would not have time to do that. My children, I mean, they'll spend two, three hours a day drawing, not all in one sitting, but throughout the day, they'll just draw, draw, draw all day long. And the artwork's incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been allowed to really develop that and they love doing it. They wouldn't be able to do that if they were in a school. Mm-hmm. They'd have little lessons here and there, but it wouldn't be something that they just do when they want. And again, I want my kids to, I don't want them to think that they have to fit the mold. I want them to choose a life where they're following their passions. Sure. Well, and there's something to be said about again, like you said, that ownership, when you get to choose something, it, it opens up a part of your brain that's different than somebody telling you what to do. And I've, I mean, I've seen that in my own children's eyes, because we have tried very, very hard in our family to give children the space to make decisions for themselves, even if we might not think that they're the best, because we're the parent, and we've had years of experience, and we can kind of foresee what those two or three steps down the road might look like. But how you can't keep making judgments and decisions for our kids. It's like if your spouse is about to do something, you can just give them information, but they ultimately get to do it and have to make that decision. Um, And -hmm. I feel the same way about learning. When our children are zoned in on something and they find something that they love, it's not that um, it's not a an inch deep and a mile mile wide. It's a mile deep, and I feel like I can almost organize my son's life by like the the activities that he was interested in from, you know, four years old up until 12. It was as if we could segment out his life based on, okay, this was the Pokemon era and this was the Lego era and this was the, you know, and, um, and, and my daughter is very similar in that regard. There's certain things that she's honed in on and she's an incredible artist, she taught herself all the things, um, she taught herself digital art, which I never really even had on my radar. But my son, who's very techie, was super, super into getting us an iPad. I never, I never was like, eh, we don't need an iPad. We're good. We don't, you know, we have computers, we have stuff at home. And, but he was like, mom, but this one, you know, this one's really good. And he was like, you have to watch the launch with me. So we sat down, he did all the thing. And, and I could see the joy in him sharing that with me, even though it wasn't something that I necessarily was interested in. But when I sat and I paid attention and I, really got involved, I could see why this was important to him. And so that was the year that he and his sister and I went and actually stood out in front of the Apple store, which is again, nothing I've ever done before. And we waited till the doors (laughs) opened and we went and got that iPad. And in my mind, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to use it some and he's going to use it and his sister's going to use it. And within like two to three months, it was in her room. And she was like learning how to draw and she kept playing and playing. And then she was like, can we get this app? It's called Procreate. It is $10. And cause I'll, you know, apps are usually like a buck. I'm like, what's $10 app? What are you talking about? <laughs> and then she's like, well, but it has all these features. And she showed me a video and I was like, sure, let's just do it. And that has been the app that she has used to create the most beautiful drawings. I am dumbfounded when she shows me stuff that she's worked on and that's not me. All I did was stand in line at the yeah. Apple store and we were able to thankfully buy one of those this time around. And she has just watched videos and she'll watch people or she follows people on Instagram who are procreate artists. And, um, 
and and she just picks up the skills as time is allowed and the amount of time she's been able to spend on that I know she would never have gotten to this level and she's 14 you know and I'm like right if she had to spend all of her hours doing something somebody else demanded of her when would she have ever really gotten a chance to do these things and maybe part of this is my redemption because I loved art as a kid and I loved art class mm. and I hated it when they said it's time to go. And I was like, but I'm not finished. And then you'd go back the next week and you were on to something else. And I didn't even get to finish what I was working on. And I remember that in right. middle and kindergarten, not kindergarten, um, elementary school. I remember thinking, why didn't we get to finish our stuff from last time? Wasn't that important? <laughs> and it was very yes. frustrating because you learned very early that this is not really as important as the other stuff. So what does that say? Yeah, and there's a time limit on this and there's a deadline. Mm-hmm. You you can draw, but you only have this amount of time and that becomes such a huge constraint. I I um I like being able to give our children the time to finish. For sure. And if they're working on a project and they're they need some more time because it's taken them on this different this different trip than maybe you had intended, so be it. Yeah. I think that's a great point to you make know? too because Sometimes in our heads, we have these preconceived notions of what our kids are going to like and what they're going to be drawn to, <clears throat> and then they're not. And it makes us have to pull back and reevaluate what's important and recognize that even if it's not something that we would have picked or we would like or we do like, that does not minimize the importance for them. And by and, and I'll use Pokemon again as an example because Daniel loved collecting those cards. And I remember thinking, do we really have to buy another pack of Pokemon cards? <laughs> um, but when you really look at what those cards were doing and how what purpose they were serving, it, it was teaching. He was learning so much. He was learning math mm-hmm. and science and spelling and reading and um, memorizing things and organizing his thoughts. And it, it was unbelievable how much he learned from playing that game. And there were times when I thought to myself, well, I shouldn't buy anymore. And then I remember being like, well, but I wouldn't think twice for buying a book or buying, you know, something that was on my list in my brain of, of being valuable, you know, quote unquote. Right. And I was like, just because it's not in my brain valuable, doesn't mean it's not valuable. And I think we have to be careful about that as parents, whether we're homeschooling or not, to remember that if you can take a step back and just observe your children and you see the joy in their face and their eyes, then that is a, that is a worthy purchase. Well, and you know, it's, it's this idea of following their spark, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that's so important. And when you can see, when you see a spark, follow it, follow it, follow it, give them everything that they need to explore that more. I, I remember going to the library one day with this intention. I don't even remember what I, I was like, oh, we're going to learn about this. So I'm going to get a bunch of books on this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and instead, the kids found a couple books on volcanoes. This was probably three years ago now. And so instead of whatever I went there to get that I thought would be great for them to learn, you better believe that the next two weeks we spent learning everything Mm -hmm. about volcanoes that we could possibly learn about. And I mean, to this day, those kids can tell you more about volcanoes than I ever could. Oh, isn't it fascinating? Yeah. Yeah. It's so, I mean, they, I've learned so much. That's also such a benefit is learning alongside them. And I, gosh, there were, I thought that <laughs> this might sound so silly, but 
I thought that any dinosaur that looked like a Tyrannosaurus Rex was a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> I, I never knew there was an Allosaurus <laughs> and a, I mean, a Carnotaurus. It might sound really stupid, no, but, but I'm with that you. was just not on my radar. <laughs> that was not on my radar before. Yeah, no, that's so true. I mean, I've, I've laughed about that many, many times over the years of like, oh my gosh, I'm learning so much with you guys. This is so much fun. And I'm like, yes. I do not remember this. And well, and, and the ideas that are able to be followed when they're having, they're given that freedom and the flexibility. And then also the, the resources that they utilize for information is very different than the resources that I might have used as a child and, or even when I was older, because they don't, they don't see anything as off limits as something to learn from, right? They don't, yeah. it doesn't have to yes. just come from a book. It doesn't have to just come from a magazine. It can come from your friend, the TV, the podcast, the YouTube channel. And so they see it from such a larger perspective than, than we do. Um, and, or we have a tendency to sometimes, um, if you don't mind, would you mind just kind of giving us a little bit of insight about your podcast and parenting and sort of the peaceful parenting side of things and maybe what that looks like day to day for you or for your family? Yeah, sure. So uh, this kind of ties back to what we were talking about before with, um, you know, looking at the status quo and asking why is that the status quo and questioning it. Um, so I went, you know, I went to school to be an educator and I took all these classes that really focused on a child's behavior. And I was not raised in a house where, you know, punishments were used or rewards were used, but I took these classes that were so focused on behavior and trying to mm. manipulate a child into doing certain things to get this desired behavior. And when I, and I've always loved working with kids, always, um, their minds have always made me just so delighted because of their, the pureness of a mm -hmm. child. And so I always knew that I wanted to work with kids. And when I became a, when I, you know, became a mom, I just started researching it more because I, and as my podcast and as my website and my Instagram kind of talk about, I don't think that we should just wing it. We have this idea in our society that, oh, parenting, it's just, you know, by the seat mm. of our pants, we just wing it. And you hear that a lot. And I understand the spirit of that message. And of course, there's some elements of truth to that because you can't, there's no manual. There's not necessary. You can't plan for everything that might come up. But just like anything else in your life, if you do some research and actually look into things more, you're going to be more informed and you'll be able to uh, make better decisions on it. And so I started looking into peaceful parenting. I can't tell you how I did. I don't remember why, but I started, um, it's sort of, I had to unlearn some of the things that I learned in my education classes and go back to my roots, which is, you know, the name of my podcast, Mama's Roots mm -hmm. Are Showing, which has multiple <laughs> meanings. Um, because even though I didn't experience um, this looking at behavior as something to conquer in my own childhood, um, I was conditioned in the classes that I took to use, you know, rewards and sticker charts and timeouts and those things. So, um Having done all the research on this, now I know that those things don't work. And not only that, but they're detrimental to the child, to the parent, and to then, of course, sure. to the parent-child relationship. And so, yeah, I'm a big researcher. I, I love um, 
if I, if there's something that I love, I will never stop researching it. And parenting is one of those things. And so I'm constantly reading books on parenting and of course on education. Um, and they have served me so well. And I wanted to share that information with other people who maybe don't have the time or don't have the desire mm-hmm. to sit there and read through all this literature and all these studies on it. It's fascinating to me, but it's I'm able to deconstruct it yeah. and then put it out there into the world in practical advice. And so that is my aim because I don't want moms to lose themselves in motherhood mm-hmm. and there's a lot of that that happens in our society, but it doesn't have to be that way. It does not. And there are, no, and there are ways, it should be a joyful thing. Not that there aren't challenging moments and challenging days, but you should, you should embrace motherhood and love and love it. Um, And there's ways to do that. Unfortunately, a lot of the standard American parenting um, prevents that Mm -hmm. from happening. It doesn't encourage you to enjoy it. It, it, it puts you up against your child rather sure. than becoming their, their partner in this journey and their advocate. Yeah. And, and like you were saying too, with some of the tactics that were used, like in the classroom, it's to modify their behavior to fit that classroom setting, which is artificial. And mm-hmm. so you get, you get children behaving, but it's fake behavior. It's I'm going to do it just so I can avoid a punishment or not have a privilege taken away from me and who wants to have that kind of relationship that's completely inauthentic and we're actually asking our children to not be themselves but we're making you're making my life easier we don't we don't mind that you're not being yourself right I mean that's kind of the message that they get when we're asking them to jump through all these hoops to do things that fit the agenda of the adults and um and it you know I do I will say because I love peaceful parenting and it's something I'm a million percent on board with and researched also as just as you have and um what has for sure stuck out for me and has continued to prove prove the point if you will is that it helps our kids be able to really speak for themselves because when we're when we hear their little voices they want to tell us things when their voices get older and you know this idea of teenage years and the terrible teenage years I we don't have that here. Like that's, that's not an experience mm-hmm. of ours because my children don't know, they know that they don't have to fight me. They know they don't have to fight their families to get to be heard and to be understood and appreciated. And so I will say, I'll just put a plug in for anybody who has, or is curious about peaceful parenting, what that looks like. It's not about not having difficult times or challenges or even confrontation it's about how you handle the confrontation and the challenges and recognize that it's just part of interacting with other humans it's going to happen but you have a choice do you look at each other and say okay we're having a difficult time right now let's figure this out or do you try to power over them and control them and when you take the ladder or um when you when you try to do connection versus control Mm -hmm. then you are developing a relationship that is something that will last and be more powerful and also more um authentic for years and years to come yeah and it's it's about keeping that those long-term goals in mind you know it's not Mm -hmm. you can easily get your children to comply with you you can threaten them you could yell at them you can put Mm -hmm. fear into them you can threaten to take something away um, and that might work in the, in the immediate, um, that moment, 
but it's doing some long-term damage. And like you said, it's connection over everything Um, Mm -hmm. and building the relationship with your kids and not putting them on the other side and you on this side where you're against each other during a challenge. It's working together to come up with a solution. It's all about the relationship and finding ways, of course, to model um, how you regulate your own emotions because we Mm -hmm. all are imperfect. It is, you know, and understanding our own triggers. We all have triggers. We all have um, things that upset us and we have to regulate our own emotions. So it's really being mindful and understanding that part of ourselves and not just um, reacting, but rather responding to what is happening. So I think that's a that's a key point too. And yeah, seeing your children as being full beings, even as little babies, you know, instead of, you know, oftentimes with infant care, you know, you hear people say, oh, well, you know, they're just a little blob right now. <laughs> and I'm like, well, um, I, you know, I, it's strange, you know, that you see them that way <laughs> and you can still connect with them. Mm-hmm. And the way that I know, um, Magda Gerber, who developed the Rye Parenting yes. Method, which is beautiful. Yes. You know, she says, and this is just me off the cuff here, so I'm, I'm sure I'm not quoting it correctly, but she says, you want to really picture your infant, your baby, and even a small child as almost an elderly person that you're taking mm. care of. Mm-hmm. And so you let them know that you're going to be putting their shirt on right now. Mm-hmm. You let them know that you're going to lay them down while you, you know, bathe them or whatever. And so it's respecting the child as a full being from the minute that they're born. Mm. Yeah. They're a child right now. They're a person right now. It's not just molding them into something that that's the goal. It's to enjoy them right now, but to honor that they're a human and they have um, preferences, they have feelings, you know, and, and also I always think that it's a good idea to ask yourself, how would I respond if this was an adult doing this? You know, there's the, oh, well, your child, they left their favorite toy at the restaurant and you've been telling them that they need to be careful and remember that. Well, would you yell at a friend if they did that? Mm -hmm. Too bad. That's what you get for not paying attention or not keeping up with your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, you would not. You would never (laughs) say that. Mm -mm. Right. Or if a child was whining to you about something, you know, there's this trigger. Whining is a trigger. Well, um, we whine to each other all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Adults do. And whining is a way for your child to communicate. I think at the end of the day, what we want, and you mentioned this when you were talking about how things in your own home are with your relationship with your kids, we want our children to Mm -hmm. run to us when they have a problem, not away from us. Absolutely. Yep. And when they trust you, when you respect them, and that's a mutual thing, when there is a connection and a true relationship there, Mm -hmm. that just naturally happens. For sure. Yes. Oh my goodness. You know, and you were talking about the babies. Um, there's the idea of the fourth trimester, which I would, oh, yes. I would love for that to become a bit more common knowledge that, you know, it's just because the baby is now outside of your body does not mean that the baby needs, it, they still need that same like womb-like care <laughs> that you, they were getting inside yes. of your body but for those next three months, especially. But then of course, I feel that it goes even further than that, but, um, it's very, 
intense time after they're born to keep them close and to make them feel like the world is safe and that their needs are met because that's creating their structure in their own mind that the that it's a question I believe that our our little our beings are trying to answer the world is safe or the world is not and even though they can't think logically like you can you know as you get older their body's responding to the world so they're taking in information on this physiological level that will impact their abilities and their um, thoughts and their behavior moving forward Oh, yes. There's so much research on that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How um, children or babies, um, you know, we think that, well, how they won't remember mm-hmm. this. Um, well, they might not have a memory yeah. of it, but their body, yes. their the brain development does. And so, you know, this is why there's different methods that are common in parenting um, that need to be looked at. And, you know, like the cry it out method mm-hmm. or something like that, you know, that changes the, the baby's yeah. brain. And these are things that we need to be really well aware of. And this is why research is a really important thing. And if, if it's not something that there's so much information out there, that's the thing that it can be truly overwhelming. And a lot of times, if it's not even on your radar, we sort of inherit the way that we mm-hmm. were raised and we just move forward and that's yeah. how we parent. Okay, well, my mom did this, my dad did this, um, so I'm going to do that. And sometimes that works out great, but I think it would benefit us all to look at that a little bit more and say, well, are there some things that I can change that I should maybe mm-hmm. improve on or some things that they did great um, that I can trudge forward with but it does take some reflection we shouldn't just wing motherhood we get to do it once and we and our children only get one Mm -hmm. childhood and it's so crucial for the development and how they end up in adulthood for the rest of their lives they get to do this once and we get to do it once so let's not just wing it let's let's be mindful and intentional I love that Mm-hmm. And I do believe so, so strongly in the idea, ideas of bringing into your consciousness, the patterns and behaviors and attitudes that you brought to your parenting. Because if you don't, then they will repeat. And almost automatically, you it's like as if you don't even have control over it. And you were talking about the whining, I think that's a trigger for some people, because that could have been something that they were not, um, that, that they experienced as children when they were whining, somebody snipped at them or got really upset with them and didn't get down on their level and look in their eyes and hold their hands and say, you know, what is it that you're trying to get from me? Or what is it that you need? Or I hear that you're not feeling well. And having that connection and that compassionate caretaking, which if you didn't get that as a child and you never dealt with it or you never understood it, and then you become a parent, it's easy for that particular behavior to just trigger you so quickly because you didn't you didn't receive the care that you needed then. So you're not really equipped to offer that care now unless you take the time to really look at it. Yeah. And that can take a lot of work to do. Unpacking our triggers, they can be Mm -hmm. so transformative. And it's really crucial that we do that if we really want to understand ourselves, but also, like you said, maybe break some some cycles, some, some patterns in our, in our families and in our upbringing, but it is well worth the work, but it can be very challenging. 
because it can be. Sometimes we don't even realize that. Mm -hmm. Which is why these conversations are so important. And it's also why our community, creating that community is so vital, particularly if you're trying to break patterns and you're, you recognize that you don't want to repeat the things that happened to you or that you saw in your own childhood. It's, you know, there's plenty of people out there and plenty of resources available to help you kind of walk away from a certain way of handling things into something that's a bit more connecting and beneficial for you and your family. Yeah. And and it's okay to make mistakes, you know, generally speaking, it's okay to make mistakes. I mean, I've apologized to my kids. I've had to do that on numerous occasions and I know (laughs) I'm going to do it again. Um, Yeah. So perfection isn't something that um, we need to even aspire to. It's, it's simply, it's simply not at all. Yeah. It's, it's not that it's just, it's growth and Mm -hmm. it is awareness. Um, When we know better, we do better. And for sure. The only way to know more is to, you know, listen to podcasts. It's to read books, (laughs) right? It is. So we gain so much knowledge and that helps us on our journey so much. It truly, truly does. So, you know, you have been so gracious and offered so much time to, to me today and I appreciate it. Is there, are there any parting words or words of encouragement or advice that you might want to offer to some parents with little ones out there? You know, I think that just to circle back, um, the whole thing with parenting, um, the secret sauce, the secret ingredient to parenting is our connection to our children. Mm -hmm. And when you can find those pockets of time or those moments to create connection, that is going to build exponentially. So find those ways to connect, whether it's reading together, whether it's having a date night together. Um, It can just be getting down on your child's level and looking in their eyes, asking for a hug. Um, One of the things I love to do is to, we have a secret handshake, you know, to do a secret Mm. handshake with your kids. So there's so many ways to do it that can fit your family culture, whatever Mm -hmm. that looks like. Um, But spend some time looking at that and looking at your child and understanding what their needs are and connecting with them because that's what's going to make all of all of the problems that come from parenting oftentimes are from a lack of connection, misbehavior, or um, when the when the relationship is suffering, it usually stems mm-hmm. from a lack of connection. So when you get that part down, um, that makes such a huge difference in the whole journey itself. So always go yeah. back to that. If there's if you're finding yourself struggling or you're finding a child struggling. Ask yourself that question. When was the last time we really connected? Do we need to connect more here? And the answer is probably yes. And the answer is probably yes, 100%. I completely agree with Nicolette's insight here. Connection is how we build on and enhance our relationships with one another. And our children definitely benefit when we are intentional and mindful of this. I'm reminded of the book, Hold On To Your Kids, Why Parents Need to Matter More Than Peers, written by Dr. Gordon Neufeld and Dr. Gabor Mate, in which they discuss, among many other things, the need for parents to, quote, collect their kids, end quote. By collecting our children, we tap into a biological imperative of humans, which is to be seen and heard. They also suggest that we as parents focus on the long-term objective of a nurturing relationship, and this happens through connection. 
Speaking of, I included all the ways you can connect with Nicolette in the show notes. And don't forget to join me over on Instagram where I spend most of my time these days. As always, stay curious, stay connected, and stay aware. Until next time.